words of our Savior, calling us to come to Him. For those who are weary, heavy laden, He says, I will give you rest. Let's bow for prayer and ask God's help and praise Him for the rest that He gives. Gracious God, we thank You for who You are, the power of Your Word. And so, Father, today as we look into it, may You be glorified. Father, we thank You that Jesus came, that we have rest in Him. And, oh God, as we delve into Your Word today, may we see who our Savior is And Father, we who know Him, may we reflect Christ in an overwhelming way through our lives that others may see the work of Jesus done and may desire it. Thank you for who you you are. Lord, now by the Holy Spirit, I pray, unfold your word to us. May we understand and may we be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been... uh, Embarking on a new study, and that study is to grow, a study of God's work as God does a work in the life and the heart of a believer, a follower of God. It's funny because if you've grown up in a Christian environment, we use words that are um, sometimes seem funny. We talk about growing, okay? We talk about uh, the Christian walk, and so what is that? You know, it was a different... Do we, take, do we skip or do we, you know, what is that kind of thing? That, what is a Christian walk? And a lot of the, the references those, to these ideas are found in Scripture. Understand that in Scripture, the time that the biblical writers were writing, uh, agriculture was an everyday thing. And if you didn't work in agriculture to provide um, crops to sell, most everyone grew their own food. And so... Um, these are terms that are familiar. This idea of growing and increasing and having strength. And so as we embark on this this fall to understand what it is that a growing Christian does, what does it mean to grow as a believer, we're going to look at several different things. Last week, just to refresh ourselves, you weren't here, you can go back and, and grab that, but last week we came to understand that the goal of growth, the goal is Christ-likeness. Okay, so the, the biblical writers talk about growing in the image of Christ, looking more like Christ, not physically, but in the attributes that Christ had, his care, his love, his joy, his peace, the grace that he extended, the mercy that he extended, that we become more like Christ in these areas. So as we understand, we think in terms of Christ-likeness, of growing to become more like Christ. And in our own time, we understand that, that some of us have the proverbial green thumb. We understand that growth is expected of plants, unless there's extenuating circumstances like drought. But growth in the life. How is it that believers grow to be more like Christ? And so if you're not a follower of Christ, bear with us here. Understand what we hope to attain to. Okay, how we desire to live in such a way that Christ is seen through us. And that lens that you see, hopefully, the love of Jesus. We're not always going to be perfect at it, but this is our goal. This is the goal. So there's a, a, an interesting um, account in the Gospels. Turn to Mark 10, please. Turn to Mark 10. Interesting account, because last week we looked at the goal. This week we're going to look at an idea that comes from Jesus, his very words, as well as his actions. Something that should be a part of every believer's life. But in Mark 10, we'll begin in, if you want to begin your reading in verse 35, um, two of the disciples come to him, and they have a question. In verse 35, it says, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, Rabbi, we want you to do for us Whatever we ask of you. You like that? Hey, Stacy, or uh, hey, put your name there. Would you do what I ask? <laughs> what, what are you going to ask? <laughs> that, that's the first thing. But, but Jesus is, is much kinder than what we'd be. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant, they said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. So we, could we sit beside you in your glory. Now, we're going to understand, uh, we, we, 
I would say most scholars think that they're not talking about heaven. Because most, right now, they still have this idea that Jesus is going to set up a kingdom. Okay, so when his glory is going to, he's going to reign and he's going to be there in Jerusalem and going to put off the Roman empires and we want to be right beside you, right? That's, that's the thing. And uh, they're asking for prominent positions in the kingdom of Jesus. So King Jesus, we want to be your, uh, your princes beside you. Um, now, put aside, they don't know what the protocol, right or left, and things like that. And then understand that from Matthew's perspective, uh, their mother put them up to it. We won't say anything about this. But Jesus says in verse 38, but Jesus, but Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Mm-mm. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be baptized? Okay, so he's using some lingo here. Cup, drink the cup, and baptism. <clears throat> and what he is saying in a figure is that I'm going to drink a bitter cup. Cast your mind. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. A bitter cup. And the baptism is not going to be just a nice one of of John and the Jordan River. This is going to be a baptism of pain and suffering, of of more than physical, of spiritual. Jesus goes to the cross. He's looking this, but he just says, Are you able... And of course, they said, yes, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that you shall drink, uh, that I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized, baptized with a baptism with which I am baptized. And we do know from uh, tradition that both of these men endured great suffering. John, most likely the, the last of the disciples to die, but he endured a good bit. James um, also. But he's, he's casually saying this. Um, you don't know what you, you're asking, and figure of language, you will experience this. And so, you know, the, I'm sure James and John is like, oh, sure, okay, yes, we've got this. We've got this. But he, he says one other thing, but to sit on my right hand or my left, that is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. <clears throat> and so... He's saying, now, this is, not, this is not the Son of Man. This is, and he's speaking of the Father. This is the Father's realm of what he will do. And he is speaking of the heavenly kingdom. <clears throat> but that's not really the point of the conversation. Because, so the other disciples have overheard what they're saying, and, and they really don't like it. They're indignant. And if you look at, at uh, verse um, 41, uh, and they said, hearing this, the ten began, began to feel indignant with James and John. A little murmuring, okay? Uh, really? You're asking for prominent positions? What about the rest of us? It's kind of the, the feeling that you get. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to really teach them the lesson, the most important lesson that he's going to teach them through this account. Not about who sits where, not about who's prominent, not about all these things, but this. He said, calling to them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. So, look at the Gentiles. <clears throat> you know what they do? Yeah, you recognize that. They, the, the, the big men there, they lord it over. They say, hey, I'm big, I'm important. You better respect what, I, what I'm saying. You better bow to what I'm doing. Uh, and they're looking at the, at the Romans and the, the often heavy-handed rule there that's going on, and the persecution, really, of the Jewish people. And they say, you understand, you see that, and, and the implication is you don't like it, do you? You don't like that when, when they do this. And that's what happens. We don't like it when other people say, see my authority, see who I am, respect me. Not for who I am, but for just because, you know, I'm in respect. But, but this is not how, uh, this is the way among you, not the way, uh, back up, but this, it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And in two sentences, Jesus uh, flips upside down the paradigm that most people, even today, think about importance and service. He flips it upside down. Instead of saying, the important people have people serve them, he says, the people who serve are important. 
is the great among you? The great among you will be a servant, a bond servant. That's who will be great there. And whoever wishes to be first, I want to be in the first line, that person among you shall be a slave of all. He's not saying that we're taking him out of the back of the line and putting him in the back. He's, you know, he's not saying that. He said the person who is first in rank is the one who's the slave, who's serving as a slave would serve. Can you imagine? They're scratching their head because this is how life is. And even in our life, this is how it is. The people who are important get served. The people who are serving are not the important people. And Jesus said, no. That's not how it is in the kingdom of God. In my kingdom, the value is placed on those who serve. And he could have left it there and walked away, and it would have been a great truth, and it would be, okay, that's how we live, that's how we operate. But he, he takes it up just a bit. For even the Son of Man, Jesus said, me, did not come to be served but to give his life, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many or multitudes. See, this was not my purpose, Jesus said. My purpose was not to be served, for you to bow down before me and to do all of these things, and you to, to wait on me hand and foot. That wasn't the purpose that I came to this earth. I came to serve. I mean, this rabbi, this great teacher, the one who taught and, and thousands came to hear, the one who could feed multitudes, the one who could heal the lame, who could bring sight to the blind, the one who could bring those back from the dead, this one, he came to serve. He, yes, and, I, and even more so, the rescue the payment of ransom for those enslaved to sin, I will give my life. And here, and here, that turns everything upside down from our thoughts of how we are to operate. No less than the Son of Man, God Himself served and calls upon us to serve. Jesus, as the prime, our prime example, came in service. And so we who follow Him, follow in service. You see, for the believer, service is to be normative. I mean, the normal aspect, the reflex action of our lives is to be in service toward others. In general, not to seek others to serve us, but to serve others that is to be normal and in fact as you see after christ's ascension the 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 snowball that that is the early church as it begins to grow and then because of persecution becomes scattered about and it multiplies life upon life of those coming to be saved you see the work of service in the hearts and lives how they love each other and they serve each other go to acts chapter 2 and acts chapter 2 is a very familiar passage but peter is preaching on the day of pentecost and he preaches and three thousand come to receive to follow christ now these are three thousand of people who just 50 days prior 51 days prior would probably have been those who were saying crucify him crucify him or at least they weren't um they weren't objecting to the crucifixion of jesus and now Peter preaches to these Jews, and they are coming and receiving Christ in a remarkable way. And Acts 2.44 says, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possession. They were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. And so here it is, <clears throat> that in the early church, the result of salvation... The result of regeneration in the heart and life were, was serving others to the point where, you know, I, I don't need this, but he's starving. I can sell it. Let's feed them. Come over to my house. We got food. Come over. to. This is what was happening. And, and as, the, as the, the fellowship 
The, the shared gospel continues to grow, it says, day by day, continuing in one mind in the temple. And so this outpouring of service was an outpouring also of the gospel message. And so we think of the temple, the court of Solomon there, the portico of Solomon. They're there with people, with the masses coming to the temple. And so they're, they're saying, let me tell you about Jesus. Remember all that excitement 50-something days ago, 60 days ago, this is what's happening. They're there breaking bread from house to house. They were taking meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. God was doing incredible work. And the outpouring of God's work in the heart was that they loved one another and they served one another. They took care of one another. It was no longer me, serve me, hoard my stuff. It was what can I do? How can I serve? How can I help? And you see that going on and on. Um, the early church, time and time again, Paul would say, um, would talk about the offerings they were taking up for sometimes it was those that were experiencing famine in Jerusalem. And those that were being sent and, and the collection, and he speaks in Second Corinthians of, of the generosity of those, and, and it goes away from the tithe, the Old Testament tithe, into radical generosity, which is the giving to others and the giving to the work of what God's doing. And they do that. And so as you continue, even in Galatians, as Paul's writing, he's writing, he's talking about legalism. He's talking about uh, those who would add something to salvation. So you get Jesus plus, so you've got to do all these things of, of the law, and that equals salvation. He says, you've been free You've been given freedom from sin. It's through the great work of Jesus. And so now you're free to live. And there's a new law. It's a law of the love of Christ. Verse 13 in Galatians 5 says, For you are called to freedom, brethren. However, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The contrast here uh, is not talking about necessarily the things of the flesh we think of, of, the, of the bad sins, maybe we think of the flesh, but of of catering to ourselves, more of a general, I'm satisfying me. But no, the, the contrast, the opposite, what we should be doing is through love, serving one another. He continues, for the, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you divide, bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. A little warning there. It is the the whole law is fulfilled in this. And as Jesus said to the disciples, and as he, actually, as he was preaching, love God. The, the two command, greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your mind and heart and soul and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so you see the, the fruition of regeneration of a heart, a life that is changed is radical love and serving one another. It continues there in Galatians 6. Let us not lose heart in doing good, but in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And wow, that is something that we all would struggle with. He's, he says, don't lose heart in doing good. Don't stop what God has called you to do and the, the goodness of, of, of what you're doing for others. In due time, you will receive. And that, that, that time of the season of, of, of um of the reward, you'll receive that if you do not grow weary. And he continues here, but while you have this epic season of time, while you have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are in the household of faith. And so you see, interesting thing, the, the believers of the early church were called to loving all people especially those in the house of God. And we will we'll echo back to the gospel where Jesus said, he said, if you all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. That's why that's there. But the, the love for all, for all people was not restricted to the all of believers. It was for everyone. And so you started to see the early church, believers now supplying needs for many and various different people. It was the outpost for those who are persecuted, who are oppressed, whether they're believers or not. As you look through the, the early church history, as they begin to grow, and you see the radical 
care and love for people, the service to people. I love this example of I, um, my, to ask a history person, uh, the Black, Black Plague. 11, 12, 1300? More? Later. Up or down? Okay, never mind. <clears throat> Martin Rinker. We have a, we have a hymn in our, in, that we sing at Thanksgiving. Now thank we all our God uh, with hearts and hands and voices. Written by a minister, Martin Rinkert. During the death, uh, the, during the height of the death, death of the Black Plague. And uh, it, it was said in the biography about him, uh, it was not infrequent that he would bury 100 people of the community in one day. Constantly because of the plague. And out of that plague, he writes a poem turn into a song. Now think we all are a God with hearts and hands and voices. The wondrous things that God has done. All of these things. It is that service to others. Now, it wasn't the hundred people. I mean, if that would have been his congregation that had soon been gone. He was doing this. In fact, um, he, he was doing it at a great risk to his own life. He stood by the stuff as it were, there in his city and ministered. And that is the example of service that we have, the fruition of what Jesus says in Mark. He said, you come, the, the, the greatest of you will be the servants, those who serve. Those will be the ones with rank and important in the kingdom. My example is to serve. And so just to, to recap our lessons, to serve is Christ-like. To serve is Christ-like. We exemplify Christ the best when we serve others. We exemplify Christ the best when we serve others who do not respond with thank you. (laughs) Jesus went to the cross while the world was still yet in rebellion against him. Jesus, knowing He was coming to ransom the multitudes. He went anyway, knowing that there would be those who rejected him to serve. He's Christ-like. And so to serve is to be the normal way of life for a believer. It's a normal way of life. To serve is to seize the opportunity to impact a life for Christ. Overused cliche alert. Um, When talked about uh, people who we try to witness to someone, it is said they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, or something like that. Um, Variations of the of the cliche, but it's very true. That as we serve others with no desire for payment or recompense for ourselves, okay, I'll serve you, you serve me. That is how people inside the body of Christ know the love of Jesus. That is how people outside the body of Christ know that Jesus loves them because they see the transformation and the radical different way of life from everyone else when you serve and you don't want anything back from it it's an opportunity so for us as believers is to seize that opportunity and that takes that takes intentionality from the beginning of our day it starts this is my opportunity powerful way to impact people for Christ. A lot of our scripture this morning, I want you to know that I am so thankful for everyone who serves at GBF. And so for many, this comes as, uh, hey, I'm, I'm doing this. And I want to say a big thank you. Um, this is not to say you're not serving enough. Do more, sir. This is not that. In fact, 
If you'll recall, those who were here at the first of the year, we, had a, um, we were doing a little metric of those who served, and we had, a, uh, for 2015, about 37% of our members and regular attenders uh, who were involved in something, like 95 unique volunteers. Um, and over the spring and summer, I did not run the numbers, but just anecdotally looking at this, we have even more. I, think, I would say we're probably in the 40% range of people Unique people, I mean, people, not counted twice. <laughs> you know, <laughs> today, yeah, he's unique. <laughs> you can say that about me, okay. Um, we have those who are not counted twice, individuals who are serving in some capacity. And that does not count those who are serving outside the body of Christ in many different ways. In many different opportunities because many of you take that service that you have developed here and you go outside and uh, the, the, the four walls that we have here and you minister in our community to others. And that, that's really cool. So thank you. This is a not, not a something to, to say, hey, you're not doing enough. This is to say thank you. But for you who may not have availed yourself of the opportunity. This is an encouragement because a growing believer begins to focus on Jesus and others and begins to place he, himself or herself in areas and opportunities to serve. It is a reflex action of what God is doing as we become more and more Christ-like. And so this morning, I wanted to take a few minutes and highlight a, just a couple of areas. This is by in no means a whole... Uh, gamut of, of what we're, we're doing at, the, at GBF. But here's a, some ways you can get involved. Uh, here's some things that you can do. Um, and here's some places that you can say, maybe I can do that. Or maybe you're serving in one way and you say, you know what, I have a better skills than this way. I need to just do some switching. Okay, so you have a response card in your hand. And so um, as I'm going to call a few people up to, to kind of give us a, an update. And as we do, um, you say, maybe that's me. First of all, Julie Hartman's going to come and Grace Kids. Infants. I could do it really loudly. I bet I could. All right. Thank you. You definitely want to hear me. Grace Kids serves infants through sixth graders. We have our baby room right here. Most of you know where our baby room is because you hear them. And they serve infants through about a one-year age. And then over here we have our toddler room. Thank you. And that's about one year to three. And then our preschool room is three to five. We also have our primaries room, and that serves first and third graders. And then our juniors, which are now in the bridal area. We're not preparing them for anything. We're just meeting there. Um, that's our fourth through sixth graders. And, and any given Sunday morning, we have between 50 and 65 children and helpers back there. That's a lot. Sunday afternoon, we have um, caregiving for infants through um, kindergartners. We ask that the first through sixth graders join their parents uh, one or two Sunday evenings a month, and then we also have our um, What's in the Bible program for first through sixth graders. James and Stephanie Porter do that for us. And then we're going to have our teens starting to meet on Sunday nights, and, and Johnny Gamut will tell you about that in just a little bit. You know, when we first started Grace Kids, we didn't know that we would have 50 children. <clears throat> in fact, we had six. We had four little ones, all under the age of um, five, and two special needs boys, and we met in somebody's house. And um, we pondered what the Lord would do, but we didn't really know exactly how to put together a children's ministry. We knew one thing. We wanted it to be intentional. We didn't want this to be a parking lot where kids came and were kept from the worship. Parents could have like an hour free with distractions. We didn't want to just prepare children for worship someday. We believe, just as Jesus said, one or two people are gathered in my name, I'll be with them. He's with us in those caregiving rooms. You think about it. The most unre- no, no, biggest number of unregenerated uh, people in our church right now are in those caregiving rooms. And so we have people actively worshiping together and giving the gospel outreach to these children. That's not to say all of them are unsaved. Many of them are. But I had the privilege just a few years ago of talking to two little kindergartners who had never once heard the name Jesus. And yes, they're from the Greenville area. There are lots of ways to be involved. 
one of the things we know we want for our children is we want them to be well integrated into our church. We don't want to keep them from you. We want you to be part of them and them to be a part of you. We want them to know and be known in our church. Research says that if each child in the church has five mentoring, caring adults outside of their own family, five, five who know their birth dates, five who know they like to play the flute, or they like Hot Wheels, or they like Play-Doh, five adults who would invest in their lives, those children are more likely to be in, their, be in church when they leave and make their own families. So being a part of our, our children's church isn't just about teaching them the gospel. It's about teaching them about being a member of GBF, and we are looking for people who would like to teach, or who would like to be an assistant, or someone who would just like to come in once a month. Maybe you say, oh, I don't know too much about um, working with kids. Uh, let me tell you, we have some super children. I have a new saying, and I'm going to use Johnny Gamut as an example because he's got three children. Um, you're not sure you know how to hold babies? We have a gamut for that. <laughs> Josiah would be happy to help you with your snuggling skills. He'd be happy to show you around all the toys that are in there. You're not quite sure you know how to make um, pretend cupcakes or sing Jesus Loves Me with a, a little tight xylophone? We have a gamut for that, too. Um, Libby Gamut and some of her friends in the toddler area love to sing about Jesus, and they love to play with the little tyke's kitchen. And if you're not sure how to do it, they'll help you. And if you're not sure how to talk to a four-year-old, <clears throat> you know where I'm going, right? I've got a gamut for that. And she would love to help you in the preschool class get to um, talking about anything you want to talk about, particularly babies and princesses and other fun things. But we have children who are really eager to break you in and to engage you in Grace Kids Ministries. Um, I don't want you to think this is only a place for people to come and change diapers or um, do structured things. We have a lot of play materials because the best way to engage a young child is to play with them. And if you want to come to the older kids' class and help them, here's something. Um, I was watching the other day as they were trying to make their way through the Bible and find Habakkuk in their paper Bibles. That was hard for them. For you and me who grew up doing Bible drills, you could be helpful in there. If you just want to come and help them find a book in the Bible or sing a song. I always say to my teachers, you know, I, I grew up singing Beulah Land. I don't even think those kids would have a clue what that was. Beulah, where is that? Um, if you want to just go and help sing with them and sing, maybe you want to give your testimony. We had a group of dads go in um, not too long ago in the preschool class and talk to them about what it's like to be a dad. And those children loved it. The goal is not to keep them from you or you from them. We want to integrate you into our children's church and into our, our Grace Kids Ministries. We'd love to have you. If I can give you any more information or if you think maybe you have an inkling, I have a gamut for that and I'd be happy to talk with you. All right, thank you. So, find an area. Speaking of gamuts, uh, <laughs> come on up. So, Johnny uh, Gamut is in charge of our youth group, which is called. And if I had known Julie was going to do that, I got a little teary-eyed there. So, <laughs> but yes, um, we have the privilege of running our youth group here at church. And uh, as Pastor mentioned before, and, and Julie mentioned, actually, we have the opportunity now to start meeting on Sunday nights. Uh, we have been meeting for the longest time uh, at our house, and uh, we've gotten to the point now where we've just really just overgrown that. Uh, and so it's an opportunity for us to uh, hopefully have more teens be able to be integrated. And uh, I'm glad Julie used this word because I'm going to use it as well. Uh, we are very intentional in our youth groups. Um, I'm sure you have seen statistics. Uh, there's a popular book out there called Already Gone, uh, which two authors kind of examine the phenomenon it's been in the last decade or so with young people who have grown up in the church who leave church and never come back. Um, and one of the reasons they cite is what Julie had mentioned in the fact that they just kind of feel lost, and they go from children's church to youth group, and they're never really integrated in the body. So when they graduate from high school and they go off to college and they come back to church, you know, they'll have people come up and say, oh, are you visiting our church today? <laughs> and, you know, and these teens are like, wait, I've, I've been here and, and I've not been noticed. And so our, our desire in youth group is to be very intentional. Uh, we don't necessarily play together, but it's not, it's not us standing up and just 
you know, rehearsing or, or, or uh, doing some kind of preaching and those kinds of things. We go through Bible studies and we talk about things and we have conversations where, uh, you know, we talk about their week and what's going on in school. And, you know, if, if that means we have to push Bible study off a little bit, then that's fine because we're life on life. And we're having that intentional relationship so that hopefully they will be integrated in the church. We're going to change things up a little bit in how we do things. Again, we've been meeting on Wednesday nights, uh, which is a very informal setting. Uh, we used to uh, meet at our house. We'd play some games, have a time of worship and a time of Bible study. And then usually we would turn on video games and start shooting one another uh, or something like that. Or play Foursquare out in the front yard or those kinds of things. Obviously, the limitations uh, being in the, in the space that we're at have caused us so teens we're going to meet in this room on on sunday nights and uh, hopefully have a lot of the same flair but we're going to have um, three sundays a month in which we meet together as a youth group and then that fourth sunday we're still deciding what date that's going to be on probably like the first of the month or something like that Uh, we're going to have what we call a service sunday so we won't have youth group that sunday night and instead our teens will be involved in the service in some capacity whether that's leading music or ushering or playing, you know, being involved in the music ministry or running the soundboard or whatever it may be. We want our teens to be integrated in the church because, you know, the New Testament never says when you get older, then you need to start growing. Uh, The Bible is very explicit about when we are to be involved in ministry and how we're supposed to use our gifts. And, uh, you know, I think across the board, that's lacking in our churches today. We all come, we sit, we sing, we listen to the sermon, and we go home. And very few of us exercise our gifts to one another. Um, and the New Testament is very explicit about that. And it lists this long laundry list of, of gifts. And I guarantee you, you've got one or two or three of those gifts. And, uh, and I would encourage you to use those. In terms of getting involved... I want to share two different areas. Uh, we're, we're very thankful. We have the Meadows family, Will and Sarah, who help out with us. And, uh, and so right now, because of the size of our youth group, we're pretty much good in terms of the ratio of teens to, to adults. Uh, that's not to say we would not welcome you to come in and assist us, or if you want to see what's going on or, uh, or be involved in some capacity, we'd love to have you. But um, we, we do have a pretty good ratio right now of adults to teenagers. That being said, I would love to have college students, maybe a guy and a girl, who would love to come in and see what youth ministry is all about. Um, I know there's a lot of, of people who may be studying for the ministry or uh, you feel like God has called you to you know, go help in a church someday. Get your feet wet here at Grace because we're unique here in Greenville. We don't have everything set up on a Sunday morning. So you have to come and help us set up. We don't have, uh, you know, the, the usual things of, of services and the usual things of getting involved. Uh, so you need to immerse yourself in that and see how the Lord would use those gifts. Um, Mark Arzario, who has, has been kind of our uh, college student for the last couple of years helping. And there's a difference. Those of you, if you can remember back to your teenage years, there's a difference between the old people and then that person that's older than you, but they're not quite that old. And they're still cool. So <laughs> college students, you're still in that category. So if you, could, if you would be interested in that, please reach out to me in some capacity, whether Facebook or, or, or text or catch me after the service or those kinds of things. We'd love to have you uh, come because, you know, we view that as a very important uh, mentoring relationship. And then the second thing, you'll see this as your checkbox. Uh, some of you might be saying, I want to know the teens more, but I don't know how to do it. Well, on that service Sunday... We're going to have, uh, still deciding on an acronym, I'm not very creative, and that's why I lean on uh, Will Meadows for this. He he compliments us in this. Um, But doing something, the acronym Sunday Night After Church, or SNACK, okay? See how creative I am? Uh, Sunday Night After Church, which basically we would bring the teens over to your house, and if you could make a pot of spaghetti or order a couple of Little Caesars $5 pizzas, we would sit around, and we would sing, we would pray, and we would get to fellowship with one another. Um, I can remember time and time again in my youth group experience growing up in Denver, Colorado, seeing people, seeing families, church families, in their natural habitat. <laughs> and, and being able to go in and never realizing that some people had traveled around the world, and some people had been former missionaries, and some people taught in, in different... And, and you're able to share those stories in a non-church setting, um, and, and that's very impactful. 
So if you can make spaghetti or if you can make a whole bunch of ramen noodles, uh, the nice thing about teenagers is they're some of the most least picky eaters in the world. Um, We have had some not very good snacks, and the plate was always cleaned on Wednesday night. So uh, if you can cook, if you can get involved in that capacity, we're going to do that once a month. So like I said, probably the first Sunday of the month, just so people can get you know, kind of in that mindset. Um, and again, we'll come over. Don't break out the fine china, because we'll probably break your fine china. So get the paper plates out and the paper cups, and, uh, and you can serve in that way and be in an impact. Thank you so much. Thank you, Johnny. Appreciate that. All right. Ellie, come up. The music ministry at GBF is a very vital part of our ministry and service here at Grace, and it's very visible, and it's also very audible, um, I hope. <laughs> um, we have opportunities for, for you here is to be involved in, in the adult choir and also the children's choir. Um, Tara Solomon is our children's choir director, and if, um, if, if, if your kids would like to be part of a children's choir, please see her. We also have um, opportunities for instrumentalists, and if you notice, we have strings. We have, for the first time, I think this uh, history of GBF, we had a harp player, and Paula Carmen. She's a music a teacher here in Greenville, and she, is a, um, she studied harp at uh, Bob Jones, and um, um, I'm so glad that she'll be able to take part and be part of the music ministry here at, at GBF. Also, uh, woodwind players. Um, opportunities for solos, for, for um, vo- both vocal and instrumental, and instrumental and vocal ensembles for you to be involved in. Um, what we need, if you notice, we need brass players. So if you are a brass player, um, we need you. We also need more woodwinds. Um, for choir, we need more tenors. We need more basses. So if the Lord has given you with a, with a beautiful singing voice, um, please see me. We'd love to have you in choir. We have choir rehearsals every Sunday afternoon at 3, 3.30 usually, but this afternoon we'll start at 3.45. Um, just different opportunities. And is there a sign-up sheet outside? Not yet, but... Okay, response card, and just to see me, and we'll be glad to, to um, especially for college students. Your parents invested all these years for you to take lessons, and um, make your parents happier. Make your make your um, your your piano teacher or your violin teacher happy that when you reach college, oh, you didn't have time to be involved in college choir or instrumental ensemble because you're just very busy. But at least say, oh, I'm involved at Grace Baptist Church doing music. Um, just make, make them make your parents happy just being involved in the music ministry at GBF. So thank you so much. Make your parents happy. Hang on. Um, one thing I wanted to uh, talk briefly about, we talked things inside the church, and one of the ministries, Sarah Meadows, is going to come up a second. Um, her name isn't Ronald McDonald, um, but Sarah is one of those who come comes, and uh, well, I'll let her tell you about it. How's that? I just want to thank Johnny for reminding me how old Will and I are getting. <laughs> the gap between us and the teens' ages keeps growing quickly. Um, Greenville is blessed with a wonderful children's hospital, and with that hospital, we also have a Ronald McDonald House. And Ronald McDonald House is an incredible blessing to parents who have a child in the hospital, uh, either facing surgery or in the NICU, or um, parents who don't have a hospital near them but need to travel, and the Ronald McDonald House provides a place for them to be near their child while they're uh, recovering or in the hospital for whatever illness they have. Um, Grace has several groups that go um, throughout the month and provide a meal for them. Uh, Ronald McDonald House has each dinner provided for the family. There are so many expenses when you have a sick child, and they take that burden off and provide a meal. So if you like to cook, if you don't like to cook, you can still be involved in this ministry. 
uh, you can order a pizza or a few pizzas or order food from a restaurant and drop it off. They have a pantry that they keep with basic cooking supplies. You can call them up and say, what are you needing this week? There's been times where I've showed up and they're out of milk and butter and oil and things that they you know, need to cook with for meals. So um, we, there are always positions available to uh, cook a meal. We get, I believe Carol and I get an email every other week or so, and they list all the days of the week. And sometimes there's four or five days where they don't have anybody bringing a meal to the parents staying at the house. So if you or you and your teens or your family want to sign up, go ahead and fill out the sheet. Um, there are times where it's last minute, and if you can't commit to a regular schedule, uh, let us know if you're available. They, they will gladly take anyone who will bring them food. Um, we've been serving for a long time, and Stacy wanted me to share a personal story. Um, probably about a year ago, I, Vicki and I were going to bring a meal, and Will was planning on watching my kids, and he had a rush meeting come up at work, and I said, well, I guess I'll just, I'll just have to take the kids with me. And we got there, and there was a Muslim mother who had her son there at the house, and he was scheduled for surgery in the next day or so. He had been born with a very severe birth defect and had no legs. And she had really been struggling with paperwork, and she had meetings with uh, several of the doctors and some of the other um, people who had been working on her case. And she was very, I could tell she was very stressed out. And my kids were there, and they spent the whole afternoon playing with them. And they had a fun time, and that mother was so grateful that Will had a meeting that day. And my kids got to come and play with her child. And there are small ways that even the kids here at Grace can help out in the community. And I encourage you to fill out the form. And if you can't commit long-term or on a regular basis, you can sign up for once or twice a year. Um, Even that is a big impact on some of these struggling families in our community. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. I remember uh, not too many months ago, Carol Noel pulled up to the front, and uh, she had gone to the house and picked up um, a mom and a son. Of uh, well, the son was there as a, a part of that for coming for treatment, and brought them to church. And so, it's an opportunity to show the love of Christ. Uh, so, I hope you'll check that on the response card. I'm last here. First impressions. Um, first impressions covers a lot of things, and you'll see it on this on the sheet there. Um, but we operate under the principle of the chain, and um, a story that uh, uh, from uh, from from our area, uh, Billy Graham once was approached by a lady who was kind of um, kind of gushing about how great he was, and and he didn't really appreciate it that much, but. Uh, he said, oh, it's so great you preach, and thousands come to... He said, man, that's not the case. And he said, um, there probably were a lot of people who came and impacted that life for Christ before finally came and, and received Christ. He, he said, I wonder if the first person who ever shared the gospel with that individual thought they were an utter failure. He said, but we're all a, a link in the chain that brings someone to salvation. As God uses us, we are steps... In that, or a link so that people may see Jesus. And we like to think of what first impression is, is this idea of being a link in the chain. A lot of ways you can help. First impressions has to do with what people see when they come in. And that begins with, with someone driving a truck and trailer. It would be nice to have some additional there. On that, we have three, three men who do that. It would be nice to have a few more. That does require a little of experience on that. But if you have experience, um, that would be, be helpful. And you do have to be 25 years old for the insurance. But besides that, um, <clears throat> set up, you know, um, to come in. The sound's up. The kids are all, all the, infor- all the stuff for the children's ministry are there. Someone does that. And uh, all summer, 
faithful people took care of that, and um, it's been neat to see in the school year, uh, students who came back, who were doing it last year, come back to their spots and, and bring friends, and we are thankful for that, but many hands make, lights, make light work. Um, we think of the, uh, the greeters, those people who are friendly. You can just say hi to someone. Hi, thank you for coming. Can I help you with a cup of coffee? Or can I direct you to find a friend? Or can I take you to a place? To, can I help you with the ushers? The ushers do the same thing. Not only do they take up the offering, they help people be seated, the count, things like that. These are areas that really don't take a, a lot of, um, of, of really effort. Um, we think about our safety team, and we are continuing to about, some of you don't even notice that, and we're continuing developing that just to have um, just eyes open and aware when the services are going on um, about what's around and just checking things. So from that, that to, to even the check, check in, those of you who have kids, the Janice is there at the computer and checking people in. And just uh, sometimes it, you have a, a rush of people. It would be nice to have several people who can do that all at once who are trained. And those are just ways that we, as a link in the chain, uh, even putting a hymnal in place provides an opportunity for someone to have access to that when we come to sing. That's a principle of a chain. See, at GBF, we desire that we serve because of Christ, that we serve in such a way that, that, that glorifies him. Um, and while we have people in these roles and doing well, we want others to come in. Why? Not because we are aching and hurting for, in most cases, for bodies, but because we understand and we know that life on life happens a lot of times when we're serving together. I get to hear someone's heart prayer requests when we're spending 20 minutes unloading a trailer or doing these kind of things or whatever it is. I get to talk to someone and say, hey, let's go to coffee. Let's do these things. I I feel something. Those are opportunities. And as you serve, you come in contact with others that you can care for. And so as we grow, we serve. And it should be uniquely and jointly, unique in your own gifts, but jointly done together. Okay? Service is reflexive, just like the doctor hits your knee and it, you get you know, that reaction, hopefully, if you're alive. It really should be reflexive in the, the, the believer's life. And we also give you a taste of it just today within the GBF body, of course, but what you learn here flows over into the community. Sometimes we, we have things in the GBF Family Fun Fest. We get used to doing things and, okay, it's not so, not so uh, overwhelming. Then I can take this and on my own or two or three friends go and work and, and help in the community. But that's how the light of Christ shines through us, through us. So this morning, to be a growing believer is to be a serving believer. It is the Christ-like way. So I want to encourage you, life on life, intentionally, as we go throughout our day, seek to serve. Serve each other. Serve others that Christ may be glorified. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, I thank you so much for the power of your love and your mercy. Thank you for those who so selflessly serve in many ways. And so, Father, I pray that you would, by your grace and mercy, encourage all of us to to do so with great joy. And, Father, to help and to, to see the work of God go forth. But, Father, may we understand that it's not primarily about a task. It's about it's about the person. And so God, may others see you through us. May we impact lives. May we care. We share the love of Jesus. And Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.